Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we have the enormous pleasure to have a fellow podcaster on the shows. And usually, I really love to start the show with a fellow podcaster because either we start and gigging out on any podcasting uh, things, microphone, backdrop, background, and stuff like that, or usually is is a very quality conversation because we respect each other and we don't we don't stomp on each other conversation. But without further ado. Let me introduce Chris, uh, Chris Fulon. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Chris, what have you been up to of late? Tell us a little bit more about yourself. I would say outside of my day job as being a security practitioner, I love to help the cyber community by inspiring and encouraging those that want to come from different fields to come into cybersecurity. And on that note, I started a podcast with Renee Small, over three years ago now, uh, we've done hundreds of episodes uh, called Breaking into Cybersecurity. And the foundation of, of that podcast is to have someone share their story of breaking into the industry within the past five years. And they tell their journey, their tips and tricks, their inspiration, because we want individuals from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of fields to share their journey so other people can see, hey, that person came from sales or that person came from that background similar to me. I can be in this industry too. And uh, so just kind of promote that diversity, that inclusion, and have as many different kinds of people that, that can come on and share their stories. No, I love that. I love the fact that, uh, you know, you lead by example and you make everybody feel included by actually providing a role model. And, and as you rightfully said, I can't do that because somebody has uh, have done it. But I know you also collaborate with a few other non-for-profit to, to bring even cyber even before <laughs> when somebody is starting. So tell us a little bit more about that, maybe. Yeah, so two of the non-profits that I'm working with, first is Boots to Books. And that focuses on helping veterans of the U.S. military transition out of their military career, provide them with uh, guidance and mentorship and resources uh, to get into the cyber field as they transition out. And then the next non-for-profit that I've been working with, uh, set up by Paul Cummings, is the whole Cyber Human Initiative And that has two focus points. The first focus point is providing awareness and resources for K through 12 so that uh, kids that are uh, within that school system can have awareness for their own safety within the cyber environment, as well as seeing it as a potential future career for themselves. And then the second part is the workforce development. We work with individuals that are pivoting into cyber help them provide the guidance and the mentorship, free or very inexpensive resources for training, as well as working with companies to help loosen the strong requirements that they might have in some job descriptions. 
provide them with uh, a pipeline of, of talented individuals that are passionate about the field and uh, show them that with this diverse pipeline, they can actually select candidates that might not meet that unicorn list of requirements, but still be able to deliver on the mission that they're looking to deliver. Brilliant. That's very inspirational, especially, you know, I'm, I'm, big, I'm super big on diversity and, and I love the fact that uh, supporting that, supporting that role and supporting even demystifying that, you know, cyber is already complicated enough. We don't need the multi-tier, super imposed structured for just a job and an analyst role because otherwise we'll never, we'll never create enough blue team and defender that we actually need because ultimately we're fighting a battle where we are in the minority. And most of the time, those people get annoyed and maybe join the dark side <laughs> because there are, to hack other things, there is no security requirement, right? There is no job spec. Exactly. Well, there is nowadays, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> it is actually interesting that uh, the recruitment on, on, the other, on the darker side is becoming more and more structured, more and more corporate. Uh, so maybe we're going to see <laughs> entry-level hackers... <laughs> <laughs> or ransomware developers with a CS requirement. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of that, there's there's it, recently in the news they exposed that um, cyber criminals were using job descriptions to hire pen testers to target companies um, in a malicious way, but these pen testers thought they were doing uh, a pen testing role on a company, but. Um, it was cyber criminals kind of using that ambition of pen testers looking to find work uh, against these companies. But a- another thing, pivoting back to the whole cyberhuman initiative, one of the things that we do with candidates that might not know what they're interested in is we provide them with a, an assessment test to look at their skills, look at their competencies, and potentially recommend roles that might be a good fit. We also have them look through the NICE framework initiative from NIST that kind of breaks down the different structures in IT and cyber into 53 different roles with different knowledge areas, skills, and competencies so that they can see from those different roles what are the existing skills that they have that align to that because a lot of people forget that they already have work experience and they can pull that work experience from the past, whether it's sales, whether it's business building, administration, and those are skills and competencies that you can pull into your future cyber career that people often forget. You're like, oh, I have to start over. I have to go back to ground zero in cyber. And that's not always the case. You can use your skills and competencies from your previous career and transition them into a future career, you just have to find the right way to market that to a a hiring manager and show the value that that past career has brought you for the role that you're applying to. And that's a really good point of of people getting scared. And and actually, you get even more talented people because you have the dual role or think outside the box. And and I've seen a good friend of mine, Dennis, uh, has hired people from uh, as a cyber risk assessor from the uh, healthcare system because they are absolutely used to managing triaging risk in high pressure and high stressful environments. So I've seen a lot of people migrating from finance into cybersecurity and using that as a different angle to be even more empathic towards the business because, as you rightfully say, 
you start realizing that you can use those skills and supercharge your role as a cybersecurity professional. But maybe on, on, that, on the point that you specify earlier, you said, you know, you explain to candidates or to potential new cybersecurity people the various areas. What is usually their approach or what is usually their reaction to the naturally overwhelming <laughs> range of things that you can do in cyber? Well, exactly. It's overwhelming. So most people shut down. Um, most people don't think about it and they only, you're drawn to what is in the news. So SOC analyst or pen tester, and they think those are the only two roles that are there. But like you said, attracting candidates from finance to risk management can be a great area to do governance and compliance and all these different areas that intersect with cybersecurity, bringing that past experience is, is beneficial to them, like, like you mentioned. The other thing is sometimes you're surprised that the, the thing that they did in the past is a role in cyber that they didn't know. So one individual that we, we talked to, they, they did a lot of research to help people with finding stuff online, with gathering information, and they didn't know that OSINT was a skill that threat <laughs> intelligence was a role. It, it's all these jargons that we use in cyber that we know what it is, but someone coming from the outside didn't think that was a role. And they were essentially doing a threat intelligence analyst role for themselves in the, in the last job, but they were doing it for people and kind of researching background on people and gathering that kind of like a market assessment. Nice. So... Yeah, it's really important for everybody that is listening that cybersecurity is not a new field. It's actually, we had a joke with with Dennis on, on the previous conference that we did that uh, good engineering is actually just cybersecurity or cybersecurity is actually just good engineering. And uh, in general, cybersecurity is good running IT in a, in a proper way or doing it in an intelligent way. It's, it's just because it has the slap label of security uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, maybe pen testing is a particular skill, but not that much anyway in this moment. But back on, on the other subject, on the on your other startup, have mm-hmm. you seen the transition of, of veterans and professionals into the cyber world? Are they naturally keen or what is usually the challenge that, that you see from veterans or from people that they convert? Uh, I, I would say it's one of two things. Some don't want to do cyber if they did cyber in their previous role because the restrictions on the civilian side are considerably greater than their, their previous role. <laughs> so they were in a government agency. They were allowed to do a lot more potentially than any private sector individual would do. So uh, they, right. they might not want to do that same role. But The other major side is a lot of individuals from different areas, from logistics, from human resources, from the different talent pools within the military, you're interested in cyber. And one of the advantages that they have, especially if they stay uh, closer to the government space, is they might have a clearance that uh, a civilian is harder to get for them, but they already have it. So for, for them, it's really back to going back to what I mentioned earlier, highlighting those transitional skills that they can use from 
their logistic career so that they could look at supply chain risk, um, right. their, their HR career so that they can look at the people risk, the insider threat, and kind of use those transferable skills between them. Yeah, and, and I think the certification and, and the clearance is really important because at least here in the UK, it's like 10 years for a specific level of clearance. You have the NATO clearance and then the traditional clearance of five to 10 years. So they can shave off a lot of the pain on actually transitioning. <laughs> but back, back on the podcast, talking about something mm-hmm. that uh, um, made a podcast, a podcast talking about a podcast, that podcasts never do, right? <laughs> <laughs> what encouraged you to start the podcast? So what encouraged me to start the podcast is when I... I started my career in help desk. I moved into IT management, um, but I always wanted to be in security. This was way back before like 2009, 2010, and the economy just crashed. And I'm like, you know what, if I'm going in the US at least, um, if I'm going to to struggle to find roles to pay my rent, I want to do something that I love doing. So I switched from sales because I was in sales before to IT. And then in IT, I gravitated to security, but back then there wasn't a security role. Right. There was just help desk, infrastructure, server admin, like those were the main roles that were available. But I always gravitated to, well, how can we make sure that this individual only has the access that they need? And how can we make sure that when they transfer within the organization that they don't have too much access as they build it up? So I always gravitated to that. But when I wanted to get as security titles became a thing, when I wanted to get it, you're like, oh, no, you're you're just an IT. You don't know anything about security. And it really <laughs> it, it took me a long time to get that first quote unquote security title. And I, I use that struggle of mine to to say if I'm experiencing it, other people are as well. And I had a lot of people help me along the way. I had people like uh, Chris Roberts and others that I would reach out to in the community and they would share advice. So I wanted to kind of find a way to scale the same experience that I was having. Because also at the time, Renee and I were copying, uh, were, were on the same threads of people asking, how do we break in? How do we get that first security role? And she a recruiter, me at, at the time um, I got my first security title, I was sharing all the experiences that I had. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way because we can maybe reach <laughs> 20, 30 people per post per day. But that's not that many. At least with a podcast, we could potentially scale that to 100 a people audience. or 200 people per episode. And, and then that just scales. And I would say over the three years that we've been doing it, um, we've seen individuals that came on in in a beginner role, and then now you're like large in the organization. You're leading teams. You're doing research and presenting at at large uh, conferences. And I've just loved to see that growth that they've had, but also individuals reaching out two, three years later. Your podcast really helped motivate me to to keep going or that the tips and tricks provided really helped me to get my first role 
And that that enough, like to be able to impact one person makes it all worth it. But you get more and more. And we really just love that. Yeah, I, lo- I love I love the scale. I love the, the, the issue of scale because you you, you nail uh, the problem in the head because a lot of people don't network, don't reach out to the community and they get stuck in, in the little world or, you know, well, maybe on a problem that is, is a non-existing problem. And having the broad network, first of all, supercharge your role because you might find your next job through the network. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of people and I've encouraged a lot of people in mentoring on doing that. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. But maybe if, if you could share, aside from, you know, grow your network, what would be the, the top three advice you will give somebody to start in security? And the second one would be listening to your podcast. <laughs> uh, so, so for me, it usually starts around that self-discovery, like we talked about um, in the whole Cyberhuman Initiative. And it's the reason we start people down that road is to really see what clicks with them and what doesn't. Me, personally, I was never a coder. I could pull together a script from Google and potentially build infrastructure, but you don't want me running your your company's infrastructure. But I I understand the things to consider when it comes to architecting that and securing that, but I'm going to leave it to the individual that really specializes in that area to do it. So I reach out to those individuals talk to them about their role, see if that's really a job for me. And I never wanted to be a SOC analyst. After I saw what they did in some of my previous roles, that was not a role for me. So I found out through that self-discovery what I liked and what I didn't like. And I continue to do that in my career. And, And that's something that people don't do. They focus on oh, this is the, the the one way in that I thought pen testing or uh, SOC analyst. And then they end up in a role, like a, a, a potentially a SOC analyst role where you're looking at logs all day and they go, oh, I hate cyber now because they got burnt out doing this one role that they never really should have been in in the first place. And I like, uh, I, I think you mentioned the two roles that are mostly available, the analyst, the pen tester, the people need at scale because we, we still do really, really terrible job about aggregating or using the tool and reporting. Uh, I think the new trending is trying to solve software security. We're just throwing bodies at the problem and that's the DevSecOps role. But that's uh, even more challenging because you, you need to know a little bit of development, the security and, and the other aspects. So it's, it's even more niche. So we try to still search Unicorn when there are better things to do or or I love the fact that you, you spread the knowledge and, and the lingo and saying, you know, find what you want to do because cybersecurity is such a big and broad space that is not just this role. But maybe if you can share maybe some stories about the podcast of people that have grown in and, and developed, maybe surprise or sh- share a little bit of insight or, or something that, that remained with you, like a particularly impressive story. I would say, like, for example, Tracy Mayleaf. 
she started as a librarian and she really she came on that podcast very early on discussed how um her skills from being a librarian helped her as well as her passion for the field how she grew awareness with individuals she had to be able to think of the intent that the individual had versus the actual question that they were asking and how that all became very important for her transition. And then when she transitioned, I mean, she's been doing amazing. She's been at the, since the New York Times. And I think now she's working at a, a, a startup from two major CISOs. I'm trying to think the name, but um, they're from um, it, it, CISO from um, Facebook. Can't, can't think of the name now, but it's two major, major CISOs that came together and, and created a startup. And just to see her career grow, that was amazing. More recent episode, we had an individual. She was a medical records clerk, and she helped individuals in a hospital how to access their um, their records, how to sign in online, how, how to get the information that they were looking for. And she was like, well, I want to learn more about this. And she mentioned, like, someone asked her, well, how secure is my data? And she didn't have an answer. And she's like, yeah, I really, right. really want to get more. And since then, she she joined an apprentice through uh, another non-for-profit called CyberUp, where they provide the training. They work with a local company. And then she's also been giving back to the community uh, through awareness sessions, through the apprenticeship that she's doing, as well as through her own passion. And she finally did get her, her first security analyst role, but she continues to give back to the community. She talked about through her process, she had a personal board of directors that advised her and guided her, provided her with resources along the way that uh, she should study, people that she should talk to. And Mm -hmm. she kind of collected both male and females on the board of director because they each have different perspectives. They come from different industries. And to kind of use that diversity in her personal board of directors to kind of guide her along the way. So uh, those are a couple examples. I really like the personal board of, the board of director as like your dedicated uh, network because it, it gives importance because it's, it's a super important role when you ask for mentorship, when you ask advisory and having that diverse also opinion of people that come from a different background or different uh, kind of job really help you supercharging or, or enable you to make um, a decision. So I, I always encourage my mentee to, to have as many mentors as possible because then you're not stuck with somebody or if somebody's busy, you know, you, you, you still get that airtime, but most importantly, you get that breadth of experience. One of the things I was going to mention, um, through coaching, I often have to uh, tell individuals the difference between a teacher that gives you the knowledge that they're teaching, a mentor that shares the experiences with which they have and the ideas which they have and then a coach that challenges you to explore yourself and provides the guidance to get there 
but doesn't necessarily provide you with the knowledge or the experience. They kind of just challenge you to get there and help you become accountable to yourself to help you achieve the goal. So that's the difference between what a mentor is, what a coach is, and what a teacher is. And often individuals would um, interchange them. No, that's, I think that's a really important point because it's, it's like when there is a lot of misconception around mentorship of, of, you know, I go to some, somebody and it gives me all the knowledge that's training, that's, you know, teaching somebody. And, and generally speaking, it doesn't, I mean, there is a place in it, but I think it doesn't enable people to grow at their own pace or in their own way. Uh, I love mentorship and that's what I've been doing like since forever specifically because I never had a mentor and I said, I'll become the person that I wanted to have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What motivates you to start mentoring on, on this, on that subject? Kind of just giving back. Um, I had individuals that helped me and I want to help them. So uh, just giving back. And have you seen the kind of uh, similar karma happening in people that have been mentored, that have been helped through the mentoring or podcast or other thing to actually give back you know you mentioned you mentioned a case of somebody being more involved in uh, uh, in the community and sharing a little bit more have you seen that as a supercharge on on people to start giving back to the community yeah absolutely um for example one of the individuals that i uh worked with earlier on alex blanche i helped uh when i was doing helping organize a virtual conference, I helped select uh, newer uh, speakers for that conference, for that track. And since being on that conference, you mentioned how that helped expand the horizon for his career and helped grow his career in in a significant way that he wouldn't have had the exposure to do. So one of the things that I always recommend to individuals is as you're doing your continuous growth in your career, you need to ensure that um, you're you're learning all the time, but you're also giving back, right? Through a blog or a podcast or giving a talk at a local conference. And I mean, with COVID, it's a virtual conference. So it makes it even easier because you can be where you are. You don't have to travel uh, far um, to to be able to deliver a virtual talk, and that could help catapult your career. Right, and and it also help you a lot doing research. So I, I, I like to to always say that you know talking and writing blogs is one and the same thing as as doing research. I, I do a, a tons of research whenever I need to prepare a talk because you need to prepare the question and, and, and train. So it's, it's, it's a good way to also help you developing those soft skills that, generally speaking, as cybersecurity professional, we tend not to have most of the time, let's be honest. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, one of the things that, that I do is I'll, I'll share tips and tricks all the time. As their mentor, you can just be two or three steps ahead of someone and still be able to provide value to them. Because everyone has a unique experience, everyone has a background, a past, and you could potentially help someone who's in a similar path as you just get those two or three steps that you're missing that no one else could have given them. Um, So I always say it's never too early to mentor, it's never too early to help out peers and grow that big community of network. Like you mentioned earlier, there's discords, there's slacks, there's LinkedIn, there's Twitter. There's so many different avenues to 
build up your network and to to interact with more individuals. Fantastic, Chris. It's it's all very good material. But we're coming towards the close, and we have a very uh, a tradition here in, in in the podcast that is leaving everybody with a warm and a nice feeling of living with a positive message on on cyber or in general a positive message. And and in closing on that, what would be your positive message? My positive message is that cyber is something that is easier than we make it to be. We just have to sit down and to think about what are we truly trying to achieve and to break it down to as fundamental as a concept as we can. So for example, um, are we trying to protect confidentiality, integrity, availability, and then kind of just build off from there and not to overcomplicate it? Because all too often, individuals try to throw technology onto it, but there's people and process that need to be built in first. And if you keep adding technology to it, guess who needs to run the technology? People that don't understand the process that then support the technology. So you end up with a faulty foundation of technology with um, incapable people that don't understand the process or how the technology works. Brilliant. So you, you said warm ending, so I will say that it, it is possible to learn no matter what your field is. You can come in. We're still a very green, growing industry, and you can come in and create solutions and learn about what's happening here. And it's really, we do need that inclusion. We do need that diversity because currently we've, we've demonstrated that cyber criminals are using that innovation they're they're using that ingenuity so we need other individuals to help come in and do that as well on the defender side right brilliant and is is an industry like on both sides and the other side doesn't have restrictions so let's remove those bias and restriction especially the cis but the entry level <laughs> absolutely yep yep <laughs> Fantastic, Chris. Thank you so much. And for people that want to find more about you, your podcast, your mentorship, where they can find you or where they can find more resources about you. So the, the easiest thing uh, is to find me on LinkedIn. Um, I will provide all the, the links to you. Um, the, the other thing for podcast, we're both on YouTube as well as your favorite audio podcast provider. It's breaking into cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is one word, and um, we have hundreds of episodes. So you can either start from the beginning or just keep up with the current. You don't have to do either because every individual story is unique. So come in and enjoy what you can. Brilliant. And you can find all the show notes and all the link to Chris and his podcast in the show notes. So please go and check it out because it's really good material. And you can learn from others uh, at your own pace and at your own time. Chris, thank you very much for coming. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And please, please, please keep on doing all this fantastic work because it's making the difference and it's inspiring people as you rightfully say. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me on. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 